Welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. I'm Gary. And I'm Sandra. And together we are the Cocktail Lovers. We're a married couple and we've been writing about cocktails for the past 12 years. But this is the place where we're going to be talking about cocktails. We're going to be talking about products. We're going to be talking about books. And we're going to be talking about the bars that we love and we think that you will love too. We'll also be checking in with some of the biggest names in the industry and asking them to share their top tips with us to help you up your mixing game at home. We like to think of ourselves as your new best friends, cocktail-wise. So let's hear what's on the show this week. In this episode, we visit a brand new London hotspot from the bartender's bartender of the year, Tato Giovanni. And we head over to Brooklyn to chat all things agave spirits with the fabulous Ivy Mix. Our book review is a reworking of a classic and we try out two amazing products. One, a gin with chilli and lime. The other, a rum celebrating a man who changed the world as we know it. But first, we are the cocktail lovers, so let's make ourselves a cocktail. So today, I'm so excited, we're making a pina colada. You're making a pina colada. I'm making a pina colada, and that's why I'm smiling so much, because I love this drink. It's so deliciously retro, and... It used to be a guilty pleasure, but I don't think people feel that guilty about them anymore, do they? No, we've been enjoying this for a long time. A long, long time. So anyway, this is how we're going to make them at home. It's very simple, but you do need a blender. That's the only thing that I'd say. But other than that, you get some lovely rum. We're using the delicious Equiano rum, which we reference later on. So we're going to go into a bit more detail about this rum because it is so delicious and it's got such a great story behind it. But today we're using Equiano light, and it's important. So it's usually you will use a, a white rum, so you can use any other white rum that you have. But this is our favorite one for today. So 50 mils of your rum. Is that per person? Per person. So that's because I hope you're making me one as well. Well, okay. Come on, love a pina colada. Panina colada. So that's 100 mil. I'm, I'm, because we're doing this at the desk at the moment, I'm measuring it all into a mixing glass and then we'll transfer it to the blender. Is yes, okay? it is. It's it's a live broadcast yes, we're from just one trying room to, to another. Just what could possibly... To, to work out the best way to do this. <laughs> so then we have some coconut, um, cream coconut, but we really recommend Coco Real cream of coconut. This is the one that all of our bartender friends tell us is the one to yeah. use. So who are we to... Yeah, so worth seeking out. Yeah, it's not, you probably won't find it in your supermarkets, but you might have to order it online. But for each serve that you have, it's 25 mils of Coco Real. So that's 50. Wow, that's lovely and thick and Mm -mm. unctuous. I like that word. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so we've got that in there. And then our pineapple juice freshly pressed or freshly squeezed if you don't mind because it really does make a difference so i've squeezed this earlier juiced it i've juiced a fresh pineapple 
And we want 25 mil per serve, so 50 mils going in. That's so frothy and lovely and sunshine goldenness, isn't it? <laughs> All of the above. All of the above. <laughs> That's that. And then lastly, we have some lime juice just for some citric stuff. So we need five mils per serve. So that's a bar spoon or a teaspoon. Or a teaspoon, even. yeah. So two of those per serve. And that's actually all we need. So now I'm going to do a little bit of a disappearing act into the other room. <laughs> Gary will fill in for me. I'll fill in. I'll just talk rubbish. <laughs> Give people the, the update on the Olympic medal table or something. Sandra has now walked. She's walking down the corridor of cocktail towers and she's in the kitchen she's standing by with the blender yeah yeah on. hang on you ready i'm ready go oh yes and sandra's added some crushed ice to the blender and here that is a live blender my friend well if sound is anything to go by it's sounding delicious Actually, I can actually smell it already, which is a good sign. So Sandra's now returned. She's got blender jug in hand, and she's tipping it into a couple of old-fashioned glasses. Now, that surprised me. So little tumbler-style glasses rather than tall, thin glasses, which I was expecting. Now she's back. She's hooked up so she's going to pick up the story and tell us what she's yeah. done so rather than the usual um style of pina colada which are usually long and served in a collins glass i've actually gone for the recipe that they state on the aquano website and this one is served in old-fashioned glasses as gary said and it just gives it a nice sort of different feel kind of grown-up yeah touch. and i'm just going to add the essential garnish so we've got some freshly grated nutmeg another great the sound effect the yep. nutmeg being grated i used to do percussion you know and this is a very much a percussive <laughs> instrument and then we use the lovely fronds from the pineapple so the pineapple leaves and we decorate it and wow. oh smell that lovely nutmeg i love nutmeg yeah it's one of the essentials Mm. And with the Aquino, they actually decorate it with some dehydrated pineapple, but we don't have that. So wow. the pineapple leaves are good enough. Cheers. So cheers. Happy pina colada, everybody. So that is absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, and I think what struck me when you were talking through the measurements is a lot less pineapple juice mm. than a traditional pina colada. But also the whole drink, it's shorter, but it's very, it's really enjoyable, isn't it? I, yeah. I'm, um, I'm enjoying my sunshine. That is great. That is absolutely great. And Thank I think you. you should be, we should be serving that to lucky friends very sh and shortly. They, and we will. And now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts. My name is Vasilis Kiritsis. I'm from the Clumsies. My cocktail hub is gin and tonic. I love it. Just use chilled gin from the freezer, tonic from the fridge. And the variation can be 60 ml of gin, top up with tonic, 
and garnish it with a slice of beetroot that can give the slightly red color to your final result. Enjoy it! Okay, this week I've reached into our drinks cabinet and I've poured out Sipsmith Chili and Lime Gin. Hmm, I'm intrigued by that. I think that that actually it does sound quite good, doesn't it? Good match to, to have. Well, I'd let, we're going to find out shortly. And the thing is, I think Sipsmith, what can you say? I mean, mm. we're big fans of Sipsmith gin anyway. And I think over the years, they've done some really nice flavour variations. Zesty Orange, which we tried and loved. Mm, that was super it delicious. It really was. Yeah. That was absolutely delicious. And also Lemon Drizzle, which we haven't tried, mm. but I think we should put it on our to-do list. Definitely. I love a Lemon Drizzle <laughs> cake. I'm sure I'm going to love Lemon Drizzle gin. All right. So I think we should park that and make sure we definitely come back to it and turn our attention then to the chili and lime gin. And it's something from their sipping series okay and uh, what this is all about it's a limited edition series they're doing and i think they're going to roll them out every so often and you can find out details on their website and this is actually the first in the sipping series series in the sipping series series hang on say that again the sip is the first in the sipping, sipping series. series yes yeah yes. Hey, I don't know why I, it felt like it needed an extra series but anyway i'm sure it's special enough without an extra series okay so these are all handcrafted they're small batch and there's uh, some seasonal botanicals in there lime which is quite a classic association with a with a gnt mm. but seven different chilies Seven. Seven. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, they describe them as fruity chilies, which I think is interesting. And I know amongst them is your favourite, the Scotch bonnet. Scotch bonnet, bonnet yeah. You love a Scotch so bonnet. I don't love you? a Scotch bonnet. Well, it's, is it because it sounds like a hat? <laughs> no, it isn't. It's because in Caribbean cooking, they're used a lot. They're used in jerk seasonings, and my mum my and dad used to cook with them a lot. So it does bring back some really special memories for me, ah. Scotch bonnets. But they're super hot and super delicious delicious and they are used a lot in seasonings and also in hot pepper sauces okay well we're going to find out how that and it's six uh six brothers and sisters of the <laughs> how, they mingle. World, how they all get along in this uh this lovely gin okay so it's 41.9 abv shall we give it a go i think we should okay now i've just got the bottle here it's beautiful it's got their kind of lovely little character their swan on the label joined in this case with some chilies and some limes well i Not should hope so illustrated <laughs> and and the thing is as you know sandra i'm a i'm a very profound serious person but I'm, mm. i've also got my your comical uh, my, side my, no my uh, superficial <laughs> side and my superficial side loves things like the fact that the this bottle is dipped in red wax to finish it and i just think it just looks yeah. i don't know if that does anything i don't know if it's i suppose the seal maybe it helps because it's a cork but i just love that look mm. and getting the cork out let's see if up. ah <laughs> there it goes and I'm going to pour a little out. Obviously, you know, you'd normally be having this in some sort of long drink or a cocktail. Well, is it? But, but it's for the sipping series. So is it designed to be sipped? That's a very good point, actually. But having looked at the details, it does sort of recommend a number of uh, cocktail serves, okay. which I'll come on to. Mm. But let's let's have a little go with this and see what we think. 
Okay. Well, before I even go in, I must say it's got some wonderful, they say legs, don't they, in the in the wine world. But what that means is this is lovely viscosity that you can see oh, in yeah, the glass. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's beautiful and rich and it really does coat the glass. Look at that. Wow. Mm, That's wow. not syrupy, but it has got a beautiful Looks, thickness. Yeah, hasn't yeah, it? yeah. Wow. Have you sipped? Not yet. I'm going in. Mm. Yeah. What? Also, you can get that texture again, that rich texture. It's got a you? lovely mouthful. Mm. It's all very creamy. I'm certainly getting a bit of lime. Yeah, a bit of lime. I'm getting the, the chilies, but they're not overpowering. So if people think, oh, my God, I don't yeah, like yeah. chilies, I don't like heat, there's a little tingling on the tongue, but not enough to put you off and not enough to get in the way of enjoying the gin, really. So you get the lime, you get the, the chilli as well. A yeah. little bit of heat, but not nothing too frightening. I think you're absolutely right there to 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 make that point because I think before we tried it, and I think a lot of people would the minute you see the word chili, you're expecting it to be like what like 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 we like I a remember, slap around. The I face. don't know if you <laughs> I don't know if you remember Sandra, but years and years and years and years ago. We infuse some chilies in some oh my vodka. God, yeah. We just left them then, <laughs> and, and then you know to to to, to do a pimped up uh, Bloody Mary, and that knocked our head off because we didn't know what we were doing. Well, also we just let them infuse for too long. Far you are too supposed long. to just sort of flash infuse them, yeah, which means just leave them in for you know maybe fifteen twenty minutes. <laughs> and I think we and left then them in for them. a day or two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so coming back to this, that's a serious point here. Is that this is not chilly forward? It's not hot. It's not going to blow. you head off but it's got as you said earlier it's got that nice little i mean actually in in the the finish because mm. now it's lingering, it lingers there's a, there's a gentle heat which yeah. I, I find very appealing and it does it sort of coats your tongue doesn't mm. it so Tingles. you've got that that mm. going on so yes it's not um as i say a slap around the face type of chili but it does leave a little reminder of its presence once you've actually sipped it absolutely and i think uh, you said earlier about sipping it, and I, I, I would actually advise people to give this a go, like mm. we are now, just sipping it. We've even got it at room temperature. But as I said before, they, there's a number of serving suggestions on their website. And just to give you a couple of examples, they've, they've said a G&T. Mm. Um, why not? But garnishing it with lime and, a, and little, a, a little bit of chilli. Even more interestingly, they've got a spritz on there, which is adding a little touch of vermouth and also topping it up with tonic and again with the same garnish the lime and the chilies and i would definitely like to give that a go mm, nice so we really like the sitsmith chili and lime gin it costs 29 pounds for a 70 cl bottle and you can order it direct from sitsmith.com marvelous Right, today's bottle that I've gone for is something really historical, but it's also new at the same time. So it's called Equino Rum. And the reason that I was drawn to it very much, one of the first reasons was because Ian Burrell, who is the global rum ambassador, yeah. he is one of the four founders behind oh, it. That's interesting. It is interesting because he doesn't put he hasn't no. put his name behind a rum no. before. He's just a, you know, this really knowledgeable guy and sharing the love for the whole of the rum category. But the fact that he is actually behind this was one of the things that piqued my interest. And also the other thing was it's dedicated to a wonderful guy who I'd never even heard of before, which I'm really ashamed to say. And his name is Alauda Equano. And he was an amazing 
person. I, I must say, I'm just full of admiration for him. He was a former slave turned writer, turned abolitionist, champion for all kinds of good causes. He was born in 1745 right. in South Nigeria, but he was enslaved at the age of 11. Oh my God. Yeah, and yeah. then taken to the Caribbean. And one of the things, I mean, this tells you something about his character. He bought his freedom for £40 in 1766. Yeah. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine. I mean, £40 alone, but in today's money, how, yeah, how it's much just is bonkers. that? And also, you just have to be a certain type of person, I yes. think, that, you know, you're you're a champion of a cause and you just want to get out of there. It's all kinds of hell he must have gone through. And he's written about it, actually, in a book that has been a bestseller and has been reprinted many times. Since I've been acquainted with this bottle and wanting to know a little bit more about him. There have been films about him, there have been plays, there have been all sorts of things, so God knows why it wasn't brought to my attention. And I'm hoping that in Black History Months that children are learning about this guy because he's incredible. Yeah, and I think also it's amazing that by finding a spirit, a rum, you learn something exactly. really important exactly. from history. Exactly. If that's the way into that story, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah, and, you know, they've done such a great job. So they really are championing his cause, yeah. So there's a certain, they give 5% of all company profits to charity and £2 or $2 from every bottle sold goes to a charity. So they're doing their best to promote him and to educate people like me who knew nothing about him to just get behind this guy and actually order a copy of his book because yes. it's still available and in print. So what we're going to be tasting is the light version that they've produced. They actually have an original version which came out a couple of years ago. Nice, dark, rich. I mean, so beautiful, that yeah. rum. It really is gorgeous. And this is their white rum, but I think they just call it a light rum because it's not exactly white. If you look at that, oh. there's... Yeah, there's a lovely glow to yeah, it. Yeah, and that's a little bit of barrel aging <laughs> that's gone into it. Also, I didn't mention, how remiss of me, that this is the world's first rum that is it blends together africa and caribbean oh, as well that's another great story yeah, yeah exactly and it's um actually distilled at four square distillery which is a, an award-winning distillery in barbados so you know every great person is inside this bottle so it's it's wonderful so now in in this light version it's a blend of lightly aged and unaged molasses rums from barbados and mauritius and with some unaged sugarcane juice rum from Africa. So, interesting, huh? Yeah, it's really setting up for a, an interesting tasting. Yeah, and, I, I, and the bottle design the is bottle, beautiful, isn't it? It looks, it's almost like a nice kind of minimalist paired back decanter. Mm. It looks elegant, it looks premium. And it's heavy, you know, it's yeah. got that weight where it's one of those, it's like, you know, this is something serious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's so much information on the website and the background of Aquino and what they're doing for charitable causes, plus plenty of cocktail recipes as well. Okay. But before we get to those, we've already tasted a little bit of it in our pina colada, which we had earlier. So yeah. we're doing it all a little bit back to front here. <laughs> this is us tasting the rum itself. Absolutely. Okay, so open. 
We love the pop of the cork. We always love the we pop of the cork. We always do. So again, as we said, it's not like your traditional Caribbean or um, South American white rums. This has got a different hue to it. It's lightly tinged, isn't it? Sort of golden, golden colour. And you mentioned earlier about the, uh, when we were chatting before we made the pina colada, about the the legs on it. Mm. I know that struck you, didn't that? Yeah, it's, uh, oh, that's lovely. I mean, it, it tastes amazing in the cocktail, but it tastes really good on its own. And it's really nice to appreciate the nuances in here because you do get some exotic fruit, mm. definitely hints of vanilla, and a pepperiness, I would say. The heat you? Is, yeah, but the heat is very gentle heat. Mm. But interestingly, more heat than the chilli infused gin that we've just had for yeah. me personally. yeah yeah no and some the other thing I, that strikes me about this although you talked earlier about the darker version the original version now this is lighter this is very agreeable to sip isn't mm. it yeah it is it's beautiful i think i've fallen for everything about this story and the rum so i think i'd probably be seduced anyway because i i just love everything behind it but it happens to taste really really bloody good yeah and i think that is a point worth stressing that everything you said about the backstory is amazing but if you didn't know any of that and you just came to it as a rum it has to work and it does work yeah it's it's lovely it is 43 percent abv 700 mil bottle price wise i think it's about 30 yeah 34.50 so you can find out more information on the aquino website or you can also look to our website and our instagram page to see the beauty of this lovely bottle and to find out more For more from the Cocktail Lovers, see our digital and print magazine and make sure that you subscribe. You can find out all about it on our website, thecocktaillovers.com. And also you'll find out where to subscribe for our magazine, which is available four times a year in digital and print. Okay, so this week we went to a new bar. And when we say new, it could not really be much newer. Yeah, it's a box fresh, beautiful addition to the central London bar scene. It is. And when we say bar, it's actually two bars and a restaurant. Yeah, really. And all three spaces are absolutely tip top. Yeah. Should we start at the entrance, basically? Well, that's a good place to get in, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's where we started. So we should start there. Yeah. So yeah. you walk through and you're greeted by a lovely, lovely reception team. And then there's a bar up front of the restaurant itself. And this is either you can go there just for a drink or you can do it as your anti, you know, your warm up to your lovely yeah, dinner. It's kind of a Peritivo style bar, and it's very light filled, so it feels nice and natural. Yeah, exactly. And we we should mention what the building was before. So it was the London College of Music. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning that because it's actually a grade two listed building, and I think they've done a 
brilliant job of being very sensitive to that. Yeah, exactly. It's wonderful. So in the bar up front, which we sat in and soaked up the atmosphere before delving into the dinner and drinks. So as we said, it's very aperitif style. What did you have up there? I had an amazing drink called a Spuma de Campari or de Campari, I should say. Mm. And that was a uh, Tanqueray Tengin, bit of a muse, tangerine juice and egg white. It looked amazing in a little mini martini glass, Nick and Nora glass. It had a beautiful creamy head. And I liked it because obviously gin and vermouth, winning combination, but the tangerine juice made it really light and fresh and zingy. And it was a perfect sour. Absolutely mm. amazing. It's such a lovely colour, wasn't it? It was just a lovely light frothy orangey color wasn't yeah, it which was yeah. really nice i had um the negroni balestrini which was their take on a negroni now this was so beautiful and soft and round and smoky it has their own label gin which is made by the person who's curated the whole drinks list and his name is tato giovanni he is one of the best bartenders in latin america and actually was voted the bartender's bartender of the year last year so that tells you a lot um his bar in argentina which is called florero Florario Atlantico. One more time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, it's worth noting because it's number seven in the world's 50 best bars list. So I wanted to say all of that to set the scene for the caliber of drinks that you're going to get yeah. here. And he has curated the drinks program for the bars upstairs and downstairs. And they are works of beauty. They're so finely balanced and really delicious. I, I just have to stress that. So going back to the, the Negroni, it has his own gin, which you can buy only in Argentina and in this bar here. And it comes with Campari, Amaro, seawater, which is a lovely salt water, and then a eucalyptus smoke. And I have to mention all of those ingredients because they all come together in this glass. And it's so silky, smooth, smoky but just all round delicious so it's a next level negroni i just enjoyed that so much so that was our drinks that was our drinks in that bar and then we moved through into the restaurant mm. which we'll talk very briefly about but the thing that really struck us as we said earlier the design is beautiful they've kept a lot of the original features but they've got these amazing chandeliers mm. that at first you just think they're classic old school chandeliers and then you look a bit closer and they've all been made out of original decanters yeah and there's a thousand of them we we didn't count beautiful. we were told yeah, yeah it, they are beautiful yeah and and also going back to its history of the london college of music there's an open kitchen to the rear of the dining room and that is where the stage was. Absolutely. So it makes yeah. sense. That's where the performance is actually happening. So you can see all of these guys and girls working on the open grills and things. It's just lovely. It really is a great performance space and elegant room. So the food was unbelievable, next level delicious, wasn't yeah, it? Absolutely. I mean, we, we, there's small plates as 
large plates. It's a lot of sharing involved. Everything we had, we shared. Yeah, and beautiful colours. There was just this mm. real freshness and vibrancy Zingy. to yeah to yeah. all of the food. So we have got some highlight dishes which we'll probably put on our website. But there was um, empanadas were great. The aged cheese and onion empanadas. Some great salads with grapefruit and you know all yeah. sorts of things. But I, I don't think there's a dud on that menu. No, no, no. And save room for pudding. That's all yeah. I can say. And we'll actually be doing, as well as putting it on a website, we will be writing about this in more detail, the restaurant and the bar, in a future edition of the Cocktail Lovers magazine. Yes, indeed. So that's the food upstairs. And, and you really, we do encourage you to eat upstairs. And then afterwards, go downstairs to the bar, which is called Gary. Abajo. Indeed, which is wonderful. So that has a, it's got a set its own entrance. So you can either go straight there as a destination or after you've been to the restaurant, head down. But that it's, whereas upstairs is all light filled and high ceilings and, and gorgeous. Feeling, yeah. Well, how would you describe it? Down well, here? it's very dark. It's basement and you, it's kind of moody at first until you settle in. But the look of it is very unusual, very pared back. Um, the, the furniture deliberately looks like h- kind of homes, tables and chairs and sofas. And then the bar, which we really loved. I don't know how you describe this, but it's integrated into the space. So it's almost not separating the bar team from the guest. Everyone's sort of in it together around the bar. Yeah, it is. It's um, They call it an inside-out bar. So it's the centrepiece of the room and it allows the guests to see what's going on in the bar. So there's nowhere for the bartenders to hide, really. No, <laughs> so. not that they probably want to. I think it's also worth a little bit of background on the story behind mm. this bar, which is being Argentinian. It's based on a feeling from 1983 which was explained to us, which was when, after seven years of having a dictatorship in Argentina, they were finally free again and had a democracy. And this celebrates that feeling of just before this happened, people apparently used to meet young artists and people would meet in secret locations. Someone would bring the furniture, someone else would bring the bottles, someone else would bring the music, and they would have art performances. And then it was all about celebration of art. And then obviously they came out in 1983, they were a democracy. And this is what this bar celebrates. It's like, it's dark, but then the colour and the light that comes out onto the streets is represented by the colour of the furniture and, and most the importantly, the drinks. Yeah, exactly. So so the setting is quite dark and, and, and very pared back. So there's lots of exposed brickwork and, and steel and things like that. But as Gary said, all the colour comes from the drinks and they are equally titled like that. So the menu is um, something, they're called something, yeah. <laughs> really. Yeah, so it's... something red or something yellow or something green. And and also each drink comes with a coaster that lights up. So yeah. it really does make the room come alive with colour when yeah, the yeah. drink is presented. And I think the other important thing to say about the menu is sort of about 10 or so drinks nearly all of them are highballs. Mm. And and what we were struck by, I think, was that I think the two drinks we tried, it proves that highball can not only be refreshing, can, but can be complex and interesting. Yeah. And normally after a, a rich meal, which we'd had upstairs, I would have gone for a sort of 
heavier sort of digestive style. Yeah, but me too. actually, these highballs worked beautifully, and they actually were just the ticket for cleansing your stomach, your palate, everything after a rich meal. I had the something bubbly, which is champagne, drambuie, frangelico, and chocolate bitters, and it was the best palate cleanser, the best digestive I think I've ever had. It was just revelationary for me. It was beautiful. Absolutely. And I went for something green, which was Great King Street whiskey, green chartreuse, Argentinian mixed grains and ginger beer. And again, it there were lots of layers of flavour going on, but at the same time, really light and refreshing. Mm. And the other thing I liked was, actually loads of things I liked, was some of the ingredients it was pointed out to us, again, were kind of a bit of an early 80s vibe. So you've kind of got like the Frangelico in your drink, mm-hmm. you've got Ferner Branca in other drinks, and that kind of puts a smile on your face. Yeah, and we have to mention, even though there was, we went on a Monday night, so there was no live music, but later in the week they have live Argentinian music. There is a DJs playing vinyls, records yeah. and it's just again a, with a 1980s yeah, vibe, which I love yeah it's just such a lovely room and you do feel like you're in a living room and having the best drinks the best time and we really recommend it the price of the drinks are from uh, what, about 16 or something they, they, they start from downstairs they start from about 14 up to 20, 20. for the sort of something bubbly mm. but they're long drinks so you know it's it, Great. they work really well Good value yeah exactly we highly recommend both the restaurant and the bar upstairs as well as the wonderful abajo downstairs I've been scanning the shelves of our cocktail book library. And it's growing quite a bit now, isn't it? It's actually groaning right now. (laughs) And it's grown a lot quite recently because there's been a lot of fabulous new editions, of which one is the book I'm going to share today. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. So it's by Dale DeGroff. Marvellous. And it's called The New craft of the cocktail now i specified or actually specified or put emphasis on the word Mm -hmm. new because this book originally was published simply as the craft of the cocktail back in 2002 yeah that long ago that long ago we i remember we got it at the time yeah Wow, I can't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I I remember getting it at the time and finding it very interesting. And what uh, Dale DeGroff has done, he's updated it. There's all new photography and there's additional recipes. Now, I just put this in context. Uh, Dale DeGroff is one of the original movers and shakers in the cocktail world right back in the 1980s in New York City. And he's particularly known for the Rainbow Room, which Mm. existed through the 80s and 90s. And it's one of those evocative names. I just, sadly, we're never going to, we never got to go Mm. there. We were too young. But, um, (laughs) you know, every time I hear it, I think, oh, wow, I would love to have gone to that bar. Mm. So I guess this is the next best thing. It's his story. It includes 500 recipes. Blimey. I know, of which 100 are new additions from the original book. And what it is, it's Dale's personal take on the cocktail world. So there's a nice section, which is his history of the cocktail, you know, world. It's a few pages, and it's really nice. It just goes right back to the old days. It goes through Prohibition, through the renaissance of the cocktail in the 80s and 90s, and right up to the present day. And it's just his take, and it's lovely. 
And I think it's the personal side of this book mm. that attracted me. It, no, it's a, he talks about stories. He dedicates the book to storytellers. And story he's a tellers. great storyteller as he well, is, isn't uh, he? He's a bit of a performer like mm. so many great bartenders are. We've seen him not only make some drinks, but we've seen him sing. We've seen him tell stories. Yeah, he's and, wonderful. And he's charming. He's a charming, charming man. And it's this personal stuff in the book that really appeals to me. And let me just share a couple of examples of his stories. And the recipes are great, by the way, but I love the stories. So <laughs> one, and this really was interesting. Uh, you and I, Sandra, we love Nick and Nora glasses, mm. don't we? They're, they're just delightful little martini glasses. Mm -hmm. They really are our go-to. And there's a lovely story he tells in here about when he was helping to set up the Rainbow Room and because a part of his remit was classic cocktails and rediscovering old recipes and reinventing them. He wanted these little glasses. And when he was describing to uh, a glass manufacturer or provider, he, said he was describing them as the glasses used in the 1930s films the thin man films uh, with nick, nick and Nora, Nora. which are favorite films yeah. <laughs> of mine by the way i love those films and he described them he said oh it's what nick and Nora drink their their small martinis from and that then just passed into the uh, description the nick and Nora glass. so okay. he coined that phrase for those glasses which i think is lovely and the other story i want to share which just put a smile on my face is the the cosmopolitan cocktail which sort of goes in and out of fashion. Mm. And he goes to pains to point out he did not invent it, but he did popularise it. He tells a story about, you know, the little variations he made on the serve. But what I really like is how he shares the story about Madonna. You know Madonna? No. Yeah. He who's doesn't, she? He doesn't give her surname, so we'll never quite <laughs> know who this person is. Anyway, somebody called Madonna was in the Rainbow Room drinking a Cosmopolitan that Dale had mixed. It was photographed. It went uh, in, in the days and before. And not even viral. We didn't even have that mm. word viral back then, but it went the equivalent of viral. And he started getting calls from all over the world about what is madonna drinking yeah. and then of course it got picked up by sex in the city and the rest is as they say history mm. and the last thing i'd like to mention about this book is the flaming orange ah uh, yes tell us well i think again it's something that he does not claim to invent but again i think it's fair to say he's very much associated mm. with the flaming orange pill in fact that's the cover photograph of his hands flaming an orange pill and it's one of those things I've had a go at it, as you know, Sandra, over the years. <laughs> I say with limited success. I think it actually worked brilliantly once. Yes. And I was so chuffed and it never happened again. But having read this book and he describes how to do a flaming orange pill, which it extracts a bit more flavour from the orange, but also it's pure theatre. Mm. So I am inspired to go back. Uh oh, no. Stand I'm back. not going to do that. Stand back. I'm going to make your Cosmo. <laughs> cosmopolitan oh, and i'm gonna flame God, my orange pill thanks, so i Dale. will say <laughs> i will say thanks to del de Gros for inspiring me to flame my cosmopolitan. have another go yeah so this book we love it it's called the new craft of the cocktail by del de Gros, and it's available for 25 pounds from amazon.co.uk marvelous Ivy Mix 
what a name. What a woman. She's one of the best-known bartenders in America. She's won countless awards, including the Spirited Award for Best American Bartender of the Year and Mixologist of the Year at Wine Enthusiast. We love her for many reasons, but one in particular is as co-owner of Speed Rap, a bartending competition which empowers female bartenders. To date, they've raised an incredible $1 million for breast cancer charities. Ivy is also co-owner of the amazing Brooklyn-based Pan Latin Bar, Leenda, and the author of one of our favourite books for summer cocktails, Spirits of Latin America. Both of these things we'll be talking to her about today. So, Ivy, welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here and see you guys, even though virtually. <laughs> oh, always a pleasure. Ivy, can we kick off and start right at the beginning? If you could tell us, please, what led to your love of your love affair, actually, with Spirits of Latin America, Mezcal in particular. Yeah, so many people, I feel like, got into the, were already making cocktails in the booze biz and then discovered Mezcal. I was kind of the opposite. I discovered my love for bartending and my love for Latin American spirits and everything um, by actually living in Latin America. I I moved to Guatemala at uh, 19 for what was supposed to be like a two-month stint volunteering and learning Spanish and ended up falling in love with this bar and hanging out in this bar every day. And it happened to be a tequila and mezcal bar. So that turned into me moving to Guatemala. Um, I lived there off and on for four years, working in a mezcal bar and traveling up to Mexico to work with and taste different mezcales. So when I moved to New York in 2008, I had all of these, all this knowledge that was like very unique to the industry and, and mezcal was becoming quite the thing. So it really worked out. Fantastic. So can you give us a brief little overview of of the kind of spirits of Latin America? Because people do think of tequila, some think of mezcal, but there's still more, aren't there? Could you just give us a brief overview? Yeah, for sure. So yes, the most popular of Latin American spirits are tequila and mezcal. I mean, if you look at any of the numbers of literally anything selling anywhere, tequila is just skyrocketing, mm. right? So, Every celebrity and their brother or sister uh, <laughs> it turns out seems to have a to have a tequila company, and there are pros and cons to this. But I'll focus on the pros for now. The pros are that people are starting to realize that there's so many different flavors coming from south of the U.S. border, and then just from from that from the Central and South American continent. And I separate my book into three different sections: uh, agave, sugarcane, and grape. And this, this is not to say there's not other spirits being made of different things down in Latin America, but generally speaking, this is it. And so there's things as well-known as a tequila or something as like starting to get as well-known as mezcal. But I view tequila and mezcal and agave distillates kind of as like a gateway drug <laughs> into the other things that are available. So Pisco, Singani uh, from Bolivia, the national spirit of Bolivia that no one even knew what it was until in the in you know, in, at least in the United States. They have like cachaca and, and, and different rums from all over the Caribbean, Latin America. So there's just a real ample and broad Latin American spirit category. And so much of it 
is being really explored right now, which I think is really great. Actually, around the category, particularly sort of mezcal and uh, tequila, do you think there are still a lot of misconceptions that hold people back from enjoying them? Yes, um, I do. <laughs> I mean, first of all, back in like when, when people like if, if you're like me and not, you know, super young. <laughs> Stop. Um, <laughs> your introduction to tequila was probably not a good tequila, right? So in order to be called tequila, you have to be 51% blue agave, which means the other 49% can be literally whatever you want, besides other agaves, oddly enough. So what that means is if you ever hear people being like, oh, don't mix your alcohols, you're going to feel like hell in the morning. Well, guess what a mixto tequila is? It's whatever. And the kitchen sink, you know? So I think that people think that tequila is just bad mm. and it make them feel bad. And that's not the case. There's some really delicious, beautifully made tequilas out there that are excellent. And then, you know, I think that with mezcal, People just say, oh, it's just the stronger tequila, right? And I'm like, well, no. And now mezcal is smoky. Mezcal is a very, very broad category. We can use many different agaves. It can come from many different states. It's a, it's a big, big category. So there's definitely a lot that's being um, learned, but also misunderstood. Okay. Talk us through some of the differences in tequila, because still, as we said, you know, there are these misconceptions and people don't know what they should be looking for. So how does somebody, a newbie or somebody that, you know, has said, oh, I hate tequila. I've had some really bad experiences. I've got hungover. What can you talk us through how you should be looking for them? For sure. So I'm of the opinion that Blanco tequila is the way to go because it's really a celebration of the agave itself. Right. Not everyone feels this way, but I'm, I'm going to talk about Blanco tequilas in particular, because the more you get into aged tequilas, the more you kind of get into this gray area of like how long it's in a barrel, if they're using caramel coloring, and it can just get like not great. So with a Blanco tequila, the number one thing that's the most important is that you have to see that it's 100% blue agave. If it's not that, that means you're drinking a mixto, which means it's going to be not good. There are people out there who try to say that they're making good mixtos, and I, I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't think that's true. And then what you want to do next, if you have you know the power of the internet at your fingertips, is you want to figure out how the agaves are roasted. Some people are like, oh, it's organic. Don't worry about organic and spirits for those many reasons, especially um, in Latin American spirits. It's really expensive to get the organic sticker. You have to pay a lot of money to get that. And lots of people are like, no. And agave harvesting frequently is pretty organic, if not totally organic in a way. So like, don't worry about getting that stamp. But my, in my personal opinion, the best tequilas are made in hornos or ovens. Like big, imagine like a big sauna made of stone. That you, you stuff these agaves in there and you slow roast them for, you know, sometimes up to three days. And what you end up with is a beautiful celebration of this agave. It's very rich, very sweet. And with that, you're able to really taste all the nuances of the agave. People use autoclaves as well. Um, if you can look that up on the internet, uh, go ahead. But if you can see that says orno or oven roasted agaves, that's really a good indication that it's a traditionally made 
tequila where people have really given some time and effort into how um, it's been made. One more question on, on, on the tequila. You talk about the blue agave. What is it and why is it so important? Yeah, so the blue agave is the Tequiliano Weber agave and is the only agave that you can make tequila out of. It's important, I mean, for many reasons. One is it's a very hearty agave, just like any other thing on earth. Everything is created equal. Different different types have different strengths and characteristics. And some agaves are robust and produce a lot of sugar um, in which will produce more alcohol. And some of them are tinier and more fibrous and harder to grow. And they're more susceptible to pests, etc. The blue agave grows I mean, for an agave, relatively quickly, right? We're not we're not talking 30 or 40 years. We're talking like 8 to 12. Still a long time. But And they, they produce a lot of sugar. So the amount of, we call it miel, the kind of sweet sugar that you come after you crush the agaves, the sweet, like sugary wine almost, that is so much more in a blue agave than it will be in some other types of agave. So that's why they're so instrumental and why they're like that's the agave of tequila (laughs) right i just thought it's important for people to know why that was so important i guess yeah yeah likewise when you said about in your opinion blanco as a good way into tequila what about likewise with mezcal if i'm starting to feel a bit more confident with buying and using tequila what should i do when i want to start learning for my home mixing about mezcal what should i be looking for well it's a little trickier just because there's so many mezcals and made of so many different agaves. And it's really pretty, this is a, it's a big, huge category. It's very hard to, to, to go in there and see like, oh my God, what should I be doing? Mezcal can, just like anything else, but there are some very expensive mezcals out there. And they're very expensive for a reason. Like they should be that expensive. The agaves take very long to grow. You know, they're made in traditional ways. They're like really examples of like cultural salvation almost. Like people are, you can buy this and you're helping keep safe tradition. But if you're making cocktails, it's pretty safe to say that you can use a not $150 bottle of mezcal, right? <laughs> you can probably use That's a relief. Yeah, you can probably use something different. And, you know, there's a few different brands out there. But the thing that you really kind of want to look for is what is the agave that's being used? And where does it come from? So just in recent years, have you started to see people put on their cocktail menus different type of agave? So they might say, okay, mezcal. Back, like, even like four years ago, it would just say mezcal. Mm. And everyone just said mezcal was just probably an espadine made from the espadine agave that was smoky made in Oaxaca. That's what almost everyone figured, right? Now you see people putting the type of agave or where it's coming from. So, like, does it come from Michoacan? Is it a cupriata? Is it a salamiana from San Luis Potosi? Like, there's so many different things. But when, if you're just starting off, a really good way to go is a espadine from Oaxaca, because most recipes that you see are probably going to be calling for that. I recommend going for over 40 proof. Traditionally speaking, mezcal shouldn't, well, this is a big point of contention. Mezcal should be around 45%. But for cocktail making, that's why a whole bunch of brands put, took it down to 40 but if you can get yourself a between a 40 and 45% espadine, usually, you know, you'll be paying like 40, 50 bucks for that bottle, maybe a little bit less depending on where you are. And then you make a cocktail with that. 
And then from there, you can kind of move on. I really recommend some economical bottles right now do come from San Luis Potosi, the Salmiana. That's a totally different way of creating the mezcal. It's not actually roasted underground in the big ovens, like the big earthen ovens, like what most people think of as mezcal as being. These are actually made in similar to tequila in those big like sauna ovens I was talking about. So there's no smoke. Wow. It's really... Yes, very, but the, but the agaves themselves are very vegetal and really green. So it's super exciting and awesome to work with right now. Fantastic. So your bar, you, you specialize really in agave spirits, would you say? With most of the people that come in, are they all au fait with agave spirits or are they curious about it? And if so, how do you get them into the category? Yeah, I mean, when we opened Leyenda in 2015, I was amazed when we opened up because I kept on telling everyone like, hey, we're not selling martinis and old fashions in Manhattans. We're selling spirits and cocktails that people don't know, let alone can pronounce. <laughs> so like, we have to like really be, you know, gratuitous and like friendly and like really like, oh, it's okay if you can't say cachaça. It's not cacaca, it's cachaça. And again, we'll teach you what that is. And like, no, don't worry. But the thing that blew my mind is that when we opened up, people came in and they didn't say what is mezcal. They came in and they said, what kind of mezcal do you have? Mm, nice. And I was like, whoa, I was not anticipating that. And now, you know, six years later, mezcal is just more popular and people are more educated about it. And people are very into learning more. I'm of the I love making cocktails with mezcal. I do, but I'm a huge fan of drinking it neat. Uh, <laughs> and my, that's good. My uh, my big goal is just to have everyone like kind of use just as kind of like tequila and mezcal, like the gateway to other Latin spirits. I find cocktails to be the gateway to the spirits themselves. Yeah. You know, I really like to tell people to try our flights, you know, just kind of educate people on the category because it is huge. The agave category, it's massive. So it's like, okay, what what exists here? Can we take you to a different state that you don't know? Like, have you had a mezcal from Guerrero, you know, or Zacatecas or something like this? So like, most people just have not. So it's an interesting way to explore the different agaves, explore the different regions and the different cultural heritages of each spirit. Cool. So we move from your bar to back home, joining this in our home bar. This not, might sound really dumb, but if I see a recipe and it says tequila or it says mezcal, are they interchangeable? Can I just say, well, I want to use one or the other? Or is it like a really big difference to the drinks I'm making at home? Yeah, the way I usually say this, mezcal is not for everybody, right? Sometimes people are like, I don't like, I don't like the smoke or I don't like, even though it's not all smoky, but some people like it's too strong, tastes like too much, right? Frequently... I tell people like, okay, if the recipe, it calls for mezcal, but you're like, I don't like mezcal, try it with tequila. Why not? But going the other way around and just putting mezcal into things that don't call for mezcal can be a little tricky, right? Because like tequila is um, a little bit more neutral and it's flavoring. It's very rich. I mean, there's so many flavor profiles within each different tequila, but it's a little bit more gentle where it's like... If you're using an espadín from Oaxaca that's smoky, and the whole purpose of it is to be smoky, to make a smoky cocktail, and you put it into a tequila drink that's like, you know, has like creme de peche and like, all like it might be a little weird, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of like a one-way train, I think, in my personal opinion, you know? It's okay to substitute tequila for mezcal, but you really have to look at the, at the ingredients to go the other way and, sub and substitute um, mezcal for tequila. 
Cool. So now that we're talking about making cocktails at home, what are your favorite recipes, not for the bar, but for for us people making cocktails at home? Yeah, for sure. Well, it's summertime now in New York, and it's beautiful. And I love jalapeno-infused anything. Um, I think it's excellent. In the book, uh, we give my recipe, but a jalapeno infusion is really easy. You just take a jalapeno, you chop it up, you pour a bottle or like some some ounces of a 100% blue agave tequila into a cup, and you let it infuse. Every jalapeno is different. People are like, just give us the exact recipe. I'm like, I can't because (laughs) people have different spice levels that they can handle. But it's about 15... 20 minutes, give or take, to do an infusion. Then you strain out all the solids. You don't want to leave the jalapeno in there. And then you have a jalapeno-infused tequila. So my favorite go-to is I have jalapeno tequila around, and then I just do, like, it's almost like a watermelon margarita, for lack of a better word. But watermelon in a blender, a little bit of sugar, lime, jalapeno-infused tequila, and a little bit of Aperol. And it's just, like, this super easy put it in, blend it up, pour it on ice, and it's a crowd pleaser, and I just love it. (laughs) That sounds so delicious, I must say, the watermelon and everything else. We'll have some of your recipes, or if you want to suggest recipes from your book, but actually, I think people should buy it, because it's so beautiful, that book, and the photography is amazing, so. Yeah, Shannon was the photographer, and uh, she's just so epic at taking photographs like eat all the photo like it's a portrait it's a landscape it's a cocktail she's just so multifaceted and she really made the book <laughs> i was gonna say your, your passion really comes through as well in the book which is lovely thank you yes yeah, so we will say to everyone to buy spirits of latin america by ivy bix and with the great photography by shannon sturgis they should definitely add it to their collection and also to find out more about these incredible spirits from latin america because there's so much as you said and there's so much to learn so thank you very much that's amazing thank you thank you Thanks for listening to this episode of the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell your friends and make sure you never miss another episode by simply subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. For more details on the people, places and products mentioned today, head over to our website, thecocktaillovers.com.